because God first loved us. And isn't it comforting that when everything in the world is changing, God's steadfast love never changes towards us. His covenantal, loyal love is forever. You all may be seated. Praise God. Love y'all, CHCC. Thanks for having me here. Um, love to see my wife and daughter that bear my name in the house. Praise God for Tasha and Damani. My brother, my pastor, Tim, in the building. And my brother, Charles. Praise God for y'all, man. Just think that y'all came to support a brother. So again, as we think about what praise and worship just sang so beautifully, to glorify God, to love God, because God first loved us. Again, when we think about Psalm 86, and that's the text that we're going to be looking at today. When we look at Psalm 86, David talks about this steadfast, loyal love of God. And the amazing thing is he talks about it and he meditates on it in the midst of a difficult situation. It's almost like David was on the run and he thought about God's attribute of steadfast love, put it on a piece of paper and just drew lines back and forth of the different benefits of God's steadfast love. And he took those benefits and made it into a praise song. And he took that praise song and it overflowed in a heart of thanksgiving. And then he made it a prayer to God. Man, if you ever want to jumpstart your prayer life, try doing something like that. I heard in Natasha's prayer um, earlier today that um, the Owens would know a new um, characteristic, a new attribute of God as a result. Wouldn't it be wonderful for them to put God's faithfulness or uh, Jehovah that heals on a paper and just list out the benefits and turn that into a prayer? I tell you, that's something that's amazing. And that's exactly what David did here. And I mean, we're not even preaching yet, but I tell you this as an application. If you haven't, if you, if you heard of an attribute of God but never studied it, study that. Put it on a piece of paper. Turn that into praise, thanksgiving, and a prayer back to God. And may that bless you. It blessed me thinking about his steadfast love this week in Psalm 86. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 86, and um, we're going to talk about David's um, prayer to God about his steadfast love and why we ought to meditate on that, right? So let me pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for all that we've seen, all that um, we've heard, and all that our hearts have felt so far. And God, we just give you praise and thanks for all things, Lord. We thank you for this time now to worship you. I thank you that we have sang of your glory and your love. And we pray that each and every person in this room would know that indeed that they are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that nothing, neither death nor life, nothing, neither angels nor rulers, nothing, things present or things to come, nothing, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. May that be our testimony today. Uh, may you take us higher today in your word, and may we walk in that truth, and may we be um, conformed more and more into the image of your son. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 80, 86. Psalm 86. All right. Psalm 86, a psalm of David. 
Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is God's word. So why a psalm on God's steadfast love? Why did David and why should we meditate on this? Well, we'll see three reasons why God's steadfast love should anchor our soul today. Whether in the midst of a storm or whether things are going well in your life, the reason we should meditate on God's love is because it gives us joy in God and grace from God. Joy in God and grace from God. We see that in verse 1 through 7. It also causes praise and thanksgiving to overflow in our hearts. We see that in verse 8 to 13. And lastly, we can rest and the assurance of his promises. And we see that in verse 14 to 17. So verse 1, we see, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. This is David crying out to the Lord, the God of all creation, the one who made the sun, the moon, and the stars. But yet he bends his, low, his ear low to hear David, his servant, and to answer his prayer. So how can one who is poor and needy ever have an audience with the almighty God. To an earthly king, this would never happen. Indeed, this would be scandalous. This would be impossible. But David knew God. He knew that God would incline his ear to the humble. Jesus says it like this in the Beatitudes. Blessed be the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's one who humbles themselves and recognizes their need for God, humbles themselves and recognizes their need for God. This is the person that receives grace from God. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The children of the king will always have an audience. Tim Keller put it like this. He said, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access, family. He tells us to boldly come to a stone of grace in our time of need. For what? To receive grace and to find mercy. To boldly approach his throne. This is amazing. So the question I have for you is, do you come as a child to the king with a humble and expected heart? Knowing that you have access to his throne? Family, know that you can and that God expects you to do that. And this is the attitude that David has. But there's something else I want you to notice there in verse 1. David uses the covenant name of God. This was the name Yahweh, or capital L-O-R-D. If you see that in your translation there in the Bible, it was revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. You all remember that? The burning bush. Um, this, is, this use of the name is significant because it indicates that not only did Moses have a personal relationship with God, but David also had a personal relationship with God. This was his covenant God. Both God is transcendent and yet he's imminent. He's close with us. And this is an example of God's steadfast love as well. He is Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in other words, they have history together, right? And God's commitment to David is based on his covenant with his people. How much more so for us? Verse 2 says, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. So at first glance, when we look at this verse, we're like, yo, we just mentioned that David is humble. So how is he now boasting that he's godly to God? Well, this is not what he's saying. What he's saying, and it's a beautiful picture in the Hebrew, is that I am yours and you are mine. That the covenant God is the one that David is now committing to. This is like poetic wordplay. I'm convinced if David was here today, he would be top five that are alive, one of the best MCs, right? He just had the wordplay like that. He had bars. And he goes on to say it at the end of verse two, that I am trusting and the trustworthy one. Every circumstance, every situation comes back to this point. What are you trusting in today? Whatever you're facing right now, you have to ask that question. What am I trusting in? Like, really, are you trusting in your own wisdom? Are you trusting in your own power, in your own capabilities? I mean, like, David was king. It doesn't get any higher than that on earth, and yet he doubles down and says, I'm your servant, and you're my God. Save me and protect me. If David, as king, can be humble like that, so should we. What are we trusting in? And masters and servants in Israel during that time, masters had an obligation to care for those that were in their service. But his request was not just to his master, but to his God, whom he trusts. He put his faith in the fact that God could actually save him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. First, you have to believe that he exists. And many people who are saved will say, yes, I believe that. But that he is also a rewarder for those who what? Diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. And I know at times that I can pray, but not necessarily with expectancy. 
Can I be honest today? My desire is to be like Rhoda. Y'all remember Rhoda, Acts chapter 12. Uh, Peter had just got arrested by Herod. John, uh, or, or uh, John's brother James had just been martyred. The church is fervently praying. They got a prayer circle going at Mary's house, and they just interceding for Peter. God, save him. God, save him. And God answers their prayer. Peter gets out of jail by help of an angel. Peter gets to the prayer house, to Mary's crib, knocks on the door. Rhoda goes to the door like, yo, it's Peter. She's so excited that God answered her prayer. She runs, leaves Peter at the door to tell the people in the other room praying. And what did other people in the room praying do? Oh, you out your mind. You must have seen a ghost. But Rhoda was like, nah. <laughs> she believed God rather than the naysayers. And she believed God could actually answer prayer. So then she goes back, lets Peter in. Peter tells the testimony. But I'm like, man, can I be like Rhoda? I don't want to be a naysayer. I want to pray with expectancy that God literally will answer our prayers. Your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it in. And our faith is in the Lord Almighty. So question, what are you or who are you trusting today? Is it the government? They'll fail you and then tax you. Is it your spouse? They'll let you down. To my singles, once you get married, it's not like they'll fix everything. In fact, your issues or their issues become your issues and your issues become their issues and your bills become their bills. Don't trust in the spouse. Is it, are you trusting in friends, money, house, car? All of these things at some point will disappoint. The great philosopher P. Diddy from Harlem, New York said, more money, more problems. Y'all must have heard that. <laughs> it's true. But David was a king. He had more money than P. Diddy, right? And he knew this. He knew all too well that these things could not help him, but God could. So David's relationship with God was but a foreshadow of the relationship that we now have with Jesus. He's Yahweh in the flesh. In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Matthew 121 says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. David, the king, said, I'm your servant. And Jesus says a profound statement in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I now call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I may know to you. How do we know God? To know God is to know Jesus. In fact, to not know Jesus is not to know God. We don't want you to get it twisted that there are many roads to God because there is not. John 14, 6 is very clear and exclusive. But rather than get hung up on the exclusivity of this passage, we ought to rejoice in the fact that we can have a way to know God. He says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His steadfast love is available in Christ and all who cry out to him and turn from sin. Those who are, are, are in sin is not doing what God said to do or doing what God said not to do. But even more than that, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's a subtle difference, but family, we are rotten to the core. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. 
and we have to put our trust in him. And this is where you can find joy in God and grace from God. And look at David's plea here in verse 3 and 4. He goes on to say, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day. This is him praying, gladden the soul of your servant. See, it's the grace of God that saves us when we cannot. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is clear with that, right? Saved by grace through faith, not of our own. It's the gift of God, right? But check this out. David knew that God was a gracious God, but grace is not a one and done for us. He could go back over and over again and receive favor in God's help. And as believers, yo, grace is the street we live on. And across the street is our neighbor, Mercy, and right next door is God's love. Family, the benefits are amazing. Oh, to be a believer, it means that we can literally make this prayer ours. And he knew that regardless of his present circumstances, he could experience God's grace, his favor, his power, that enables him to do what he could not do in his own strength. That situation that you're dealing with right now, that thing that you're going through, that thing that you cannot solve, God can. And family, when we are at our weakest, God's grace is at its strongest. He says, be gracious to me, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day, gladden the soul of your servant. See, if grace was not enough, he's bold enough to ask for joy in the midst of his trial, joy in the midst of his suffering. Now, that's either psychotic or supernatural. To ask for joy in the midst of affliction, one is imaginary, but the other is as real as your next prayer. Only God can give you a happy soul. As George McDonald said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, and you have a body. Another subtle difference, but something to think on. The inner you is the real you. And the only one that can heal, that can touch that place, is God himself. The soul is the very part of David that he entrusted to God here. Your soul is precious. Jesus says, what is it to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? Mark 8, 36. Matthew eleven twenty eight 29 tells us that we can turn to Jesus and find rest for our souls. And the happiest of souls are those who are at rest with Jesus. He is the anchor for your soul. And another songwriter besides David here in Psalm 86 puts it like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, (laughs) when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. With my soul. Brothers and sisters, this life is not easy. We battle the world, the flesh, and all sorts of demons. Sin is always crouching at our door, eager to control us. But those who trust in Christ can say, Come what may, it is well with my soul. The song goes on to say, My sin, oh, the bliss. Of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. If I could sing. (laughs) His steadfast love is available to all who call on him. 
In verse 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. That's our, that's our word again. To all who call upon you. So David could pray like this because his confidence was rooted in God's character. His confidence was rooted in God's character. That is what verse 5 is all about. It's one of the most quoted passages in the Old Testament. You see this in Nehemiah. You see it all throughout the Psalms, Joel, Jonah. But it all originated in Exodus, where it first appeared. If you all know Jackie Hill Perry, she has a song on her album, her last album called Ode to Lauren Hill. That's a banging song, by the way, which means to pay homage, to show respect, to celebrate a particular person. But David in this psalm is given an ode to God. He mentions his goodness, his forgiveness, abounding in steadfast love. And it's so good to him that he mentions it twice. See there in verse 15, the emphasis is on his confidence being rooted in God's character. This is what he's emphasizing, that he wants to drive home to his heart and to ours. He's highlighting this like a big yellow highlighter, that God's loyal love is based on his character and his covenantal promises. And God never breaks his promises. And ultimately, his promise was fulfilled in his son. See, David looked forward by faith, but us, we look back by faith, and we have the written word and the written account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as a witness. And Paul in Romans uses that same language used here. In Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, shall be saved. Now, if you think that was good news to know that God is good, forgiving, abounding, and steadfast love, the best news, the greatest news is God demonstrated that love. He demonstrated that love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our sin should have cost us our life. Romans 6.23 says that. The wages of sin is death. But it's not a period. It's a comma. But the gift of God, the good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. A gift that we don't earn, a gift that we don't deserve. That's grace. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died, and he really died, right? He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, rose from the dead, really rose from the dead. And he defeated sin, death, and the grave on our behalf. And now just as David and just as Paul proclaimed, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Turn from sin. Trust Jesus. Even today, his grace is available. His grace is available. Verse 6 and 7. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So David in verse 6 and 7 repeats how he started his prayer. That when he's in trouble, God would be gracious. We don't know what kind of trouble David was in this time. But as hard as David went after the Lord, trials, tribulations, afflictions, drama went after him. Knowing God does not mean a pain-free life. Knowing God does not mean everything is going to be roses. Can I get a witness? But it does mean that we are able to endure and grow in the midst of the suffering. God has not forgotten you. Because of that reality, we can boldly pray for joy in God and receive grace in the midst of the storm because of his steadfast love. 
his loyal love towards us. That's point one. Meditating on God's steadfast love gives us joy in God and we receive grace from God. Point two. Meditating on God's steadfast love causes praise and thanksgiving to fill our hearts. Don't we all want that? To walk with a song in our heart? It's not always the case, though. And it's not like it's something that we manufacture, but it's a genuine overflow from knowing him. Look at verse 8 and 8 through 10. It says, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You hear this praise, this testimony, this proclamation, this preaching to himself, this prayer to God. David's giving God praise for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. The past, the present, and the future. He covers all the bases. That's faith. Our God knows the beginning from the end. And think about that in light of his steadfast love. Selah, right? Paul's think, reflect. He knows the beginning from the end. So whatever's happening, God already knows. And based off his steadfast love, he will never leave you nor forsake you. There's none like him. His works are marvelous, and we see it all throughout redemptive history. So if you can't look subjectively from your own past, Think objectively for what he's done throughout redemptive history. After the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, his steadfast love was there. He promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. His steadfast love was with Noah after 120 years of preaching and warning that the judgment was coming. They looked at him like he was a fool for 120 years. We just planted the church seven years ago, just planted CAC two years ago, and we want everybody in Southeast to come on in. My man, 120 years. And he ain't never seen rain, but he believed God. <laughs> and his steadfast love was with him. His steadfast love was there to hold Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac, and he provided a ram in the bush as a substitute. His steadfast love was with Moses when he rescued the children of Israel and destroyed the false gods of Egypt. His steadfast love was with Ruth, who met and married her kinsman redeemer Boaz. It wasn't just about getting her man. It was deeper. And they had a son who had a son who had a son named David, the king who wrote this song. And God's steadfast love sent his only begotten son, Jesus, the promised seed who would crush the serpent's head. The one who is the ark of our salvation who would save his people. The sacrificial substitute. The prophet greater than Moses. The kinsman's redeemer. And the descendant of David who has an everlasting kingdom. This is the one that God sent that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In his first coming he came meek and lowly. But in his second coming, the Lord Jesus is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you see there in verse 9, which is similar language, you see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, that every nation, every tribe, every tongue will one day bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, Father. 
This is why David could say in verse 10, 8 to 10, that there is none like you among the gods. This is why there is no works like yours. This is why all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name. For he is great and does wondrous things. He alone is God and he alone deserves the praise and the glory. David can give God praise for who he is, for what he's done personally and in redemptive history and what he will do in the future. So meditating on God's steadfast love impacts our hearts in that way. It causes us to praise and to give God thanks. So question, how's your heart? Can you recall the goodness of God's steadfast love in the past? Can you think of one thing, one thing that the Lord is at work in your life now? When was the last time you thought of heaven? The day when the Lord himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The Lord himself will wipe away every tear. If you can't think about the future in that way and rejoice, meditate on his steadfast love in that way. But David helps us. He helps us here in this psalm to work through our heart issues if we're not quite there yet. See there in verse 11 and 13. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I glorify your name forever. For great is your, there's our word, steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You see this pattern here in this section? Pattern of our hearts and God's name in these verses. Just teach me for the sake of my heart. Give thanks with a whole heart. The desire to fear. Another word for fear here is reverence, to worship, to glorify his name. And then he grounds it all in the steadfast love of God. This is amazing and transformative to think about God's love in this way. But why does David start with the heart? Why the heart, David? Why the heart? The heart is the control center of life. It's what drives us. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this. Watch your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flows the springs of life. This is the biblical view of the heart. The biblical view as opposed to the world's view of the heart, which strictly focuses on feelings and emotions. But there's five things I want to touch on here that the scripture says about our heart. The heart speaks. Did you know that? Your heart speaks. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and it defiles a person. Literally, the words that you say are coming from the inner parts of your heart. That's either good or that's bad. But what you say expresses your heart. The heart plans. The heart plans. Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So again, notice where the plans originate, right there in the heart. So are your dreams, are your plans for yourself, for your family, for your church, for your ministry, for the future, 
college, high school, whatever, are you seeking first the kingdom of God in all his righteousness? How do your plans intersect with God's agenda? How are your plans intersecting with God's agenda? What about your desires? This is also from the heart. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you delight in the Lord? David was like so many of us. David wasn't a perfect man. David was a sinner. But yet he was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David delighted in the Lord. There's no doubt that, that he delighted in the Lord. Dancing before the Lord, writing songs of the Lord. He delighted in the Lord. And the emphasis here in Psalm 37, 4 is the one who delights in the Lord will already have righteous desires. Number four, the heart acts. The heart acts. Mark 7, 21 to 23. Oh. For from within, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, did I get to your part yet? Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile the person. So the violence, the abuse, the wickedness that we see in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and around the world, at its core is a heart issue. And we can't write laws to change the heart. But only God by his spirit can do that. And man apart from Christ will always find a way to perform wicked acts. And lastly, the heart worships. The heart worships. This is the primary function of our heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Worship is what we were made for. But because of the fall, false worship is what the heart bends to. Our heart was made for worship. But because of the fall, false worship is what we bend to. And if false worship of the heart is the problem, then David realized that true worship was the solution. See there in verse 11 to 13, he says, teach or instruct me in your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Oh God, unite my heart to fear or to worship your name. He says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Verse 13, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And Charles Spurgeon was right when he said, our hearts are idol factories. We will worship something. The question is, who or what will we worship? Who or what will you worship? And many times, if we're honest, we tend to work on the fruit of an issue, whether that's temptations that we experience or sinful behavior that we do, rather than the root, which is the heart. And I know this, some people that struggle with different types of sins, and they do all sorts of things in order to uh, put barriers around that so that, so that. And I'm not saying that's bad, that's good, right? Jesus said if, you know, your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you, cut it out, gouge it out, all of that stuff. But really, where's your heart? Are you loving the Lord Jesus 
more than that sin itself. It's one thing to turn from wickedness, but that turn is not just, just, just it turning from that. We need to turn towards something. Turn from wickedness, but turn towards righteousness. Turn to Christ. Love Christ more than you love your sin. It's not a work of the flesh. It's a heart issue. We love God. So David gets at this manner. And he's submitting here his speech. He's submitting his plans. He's submitting his desires and ultimately his worship to God in prayer. And you know what he asks for? He doesn't ask to change those things, but to work on his heart, to change his heart. Here, instruction, right? Instruction, this word here, he says instruction. It's not for just information's sake, just to have the big head. No, but it's for us to be even more faithful to God in verse 11. The desire to know God's way, not just for selfish reasons, but rather to dedicate himself to God's will and his way with undivided loyalty. And in addition to that, he vowed to praise God's greatness with his whole heart. And God delivered him from death. Oh, and by the way, David didn't do this for God's love, but because of God's love. So again, meditating on God's steadfast love causes praise and thanksgiving to fill our hearts. The remedy of false worship of the heart is true worship from the heart, rooted in God's loyal love, his covenantal steadfast love towards us. And lastly, in verses 14 to 17, because of the steadfast love of God, we can rest in the assurance of his promises. Verse 14 says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. So David makes his request known that he has some people coming from him. And this is not just something he imagined. These are real people, real issues that he's dealing with. But he's coming before God and being open, and he's being honest before the Lord. It's like, Lord, these men are insolent. They're sinful, they're godless, they're arrogant, they're ruthless men, and they want to kill me. Help! <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe not with people coming after you to kill you, but the situation seemed hopeless, where people or things are coming for you, and all you can do is call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes life can be like that. You don't know, but you can't express the words the anguish is so heavy upon you that all you can say is, help, Lord. But this is why I love the Psalms. Because it gives words when you don't have any. Uh, Psalm 23 is one of the most popular Psalms, popular scriptures in the whole Bible. Um, people memorize it, and it just kind of goes over their head. They hear it, and it's like, oh, yeah, Psalm 23, that's just what I know. But it's not until you're in a hospital bed, getting ready for surgery. It's not until you have to, you have nothing but God to trust in, that when you hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that it takes on new meaning. Right? So, I mean, even when I, the first thing I talked about earlier on, if you just put an attribute of God in the middle of the paper and just draw all the benefits and make that a praise and a thanksgiving song and then pray it back to God, think about that, God being the shepherd. This is amazing. This is why I love the Psalms. It gives words when we don't have any. And then when we look at verse 15 and 16, David based the why God should answer his prayer 
once again on God's steadfast love and his past faithfulness. Verse 16 says, turn to me, be gracious to me, give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Here we see family relationships have family privileges. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, of which of you, if, has, if he has a son, ask him for bread, will give him a stone. Right? Nobody, nobody would do that to this son, right? Or if he asks for a fish, you give him a serpent. And that, would, that would not be right. And Jesus goes on to say, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here's a simple question. Have you asked God about that thing? Many times we worry about it, but do we ask God about that? Do we ask God? Verse 17 says, you have helped me. You have comforted me. How much more of a sure promise, brothers and sisters, today? Nikki, Natasha, Tim, Damani, how much more? Will the Lord not only give you comfort, not only give you help, but he has already given you the comforter and the helper, the Holy Spirit who resides in you and intercedes for you. We need to think about that hope we have. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love his steadfast, loyal, covenantal love has been poured already into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And this is why we should continually meditate on God's steadfast love today, family, because we receive joy in God and grace from God so that praise and thanksgiving fill our hearts and the rest we receive come from the assurance of his promises. May that be our testimony. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for today that we can be encouraged from your word. Encouraged today that based on your character and on the fact that you are a covenant-keeping God, who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. God, you have an amazing track record of your faithfulness. And God, we see in the text that David had hope that he could be saved from his enemies. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have a greater hope that we are saved from sin, death, and the grave. Oh God, we eternally are thankful and grateful to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.